Hey, y'all. <laughs> You're listening to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. It's your boy, Corey Barrow. And I am Elena Newell. Corey, who do we have today? We have the one, the only, Victor Jackson. Come on. <laughs> Victor Jackson is an artist, he's a choreographer, he's an actor, he's a um, singer, he's a teaching artist. Um, he's worked with people like Candy Burris, Lil Wayne, Iggy Azalea, August Alsina, Jennifer Hudson, you name it, he has done it. Um, he's also a faculty member for Broadway Dreams, which is a really big um, musical theater training program here in the United States. And today we just we just really talk about what it means to grow up in the South as a black person, really. Like that's really what the conversation was about. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, because that's a whole that's a whole conversation in itself. That is a whole that is a whole conversation in itself. And we did some good talking today. Some good, some good talking. And we talk about gospel. We talk about finding our purpose. That's the one that hit me today, talking about finding our purpose and standing true in that and not letting outside factors and these white people tell you what to do (laughs) and not letting them dictate how you view yourself. Well, speak on it. That's what I got. Speak on it. Speak on it. Honestly, it just, we we got into everything music. Just artistry, you know, drive. That was one thing. He is not he has not let, you know, the craziness of the world stop him from reaching his goals. You know, and he's okay. he's got a list. I mean, he's got a resume. He's got a resume. Honestly. Period. Okay. Period. Um check the Carfax. And I was I was just so excited to get because I'm already a Victor Jackson fan already. So this, you know, it didn't take much for, you know, they to say, Okay, Victor's coming on the show. Okay, what time? Give me a place. I'm ready. It didn't take much. It did not take much. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be a really good conversation and I'm excited for y'all to hear it. Yeah. So let's hear it right now. Come on. Hey y'all, today's episode is brought to you by Prism Candle Company. Let's talk about it. They are a sustainable, affordable, fashionable candle company straight out of New York City. They are producing soy, 100% vegan candles. And these are no little baby candles, y'all. These are huge candles. They smell so good. These candles are not only good for the environment, they are a perfect present for your loved ones, for your friends, your family on this holiday season. So make sure you head over to prismcandlecompany.com or go to their Instagram at prismcandlecompany or just check out our show notes in the description so that you can figure out where to get you some candles because these are the ones to get. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Fourth Wall. Me and Corey are here with Victor Jackson. I love it. (laughs) Victor, tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Victor Jackson, I am from College Park, Georgia, and I am a teaching and performing artist um, that works in music, dance, uh, drama, and fashion. Come on, he does it all. He does it all, honey. <laughs> it's a it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing around here. I I um when I was seventeen, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, like what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I said I want to work in uh, music, dance, drama, and fashion. And she was like, "Oh my god, you are not going to be able to do all those things." And I was like, "If Diddy and J Lo can do it, I can do it." And so. I, <laughs> I've taken that with me. Uh, yes. So yeah, it's a blessing to do all the things. It's a um, it's heavy lifting, but I'm grateful for every opportunity, and I'm happy to be here with you all. Yay! We're happy to have <laughs> you. <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's jump in. Okay. Just tell us a little bit more about your journey of becoming the Victor Jackson. Just give us a little backstory, just a little, you know, where you came from. Just like give it, give the kids a little tea. Give them a little you know, tea. A little okay, tea. well, my mom is from New York. My dad is from Atlanta, and they met in college, in choir um, at Talladega College in Alabama. Um, 
my dad's mom sang, my mom's dad sang, and so my parents ended up birthing four children who all sing. Um, myself, my brother Vaughn, my sisters Aisha and Adriana, and um, we would just always sing around the house, sing and dance around the house, do performances for like our parents, friends, and family, and we would sing at church, and we would sing at school. And um, so I never really saw my life without music. Like, I don't know my life without music. My life has never been without music. Um, my brother passed in 2008. I did step away from music. Um, I like to say I struck a deal with God, um, but I, I asked very graciously if I could take some time away from music so I could really just, like, grieve and, and focus on that process and uh, I decided that um, I would focus on choreography and creative direction for seven years and then come back to music when I turned 30. And I say three, three months or so after God and I made that commitment, that covenant with each other, if you will, um, I ended up on my first reality show, uh, which was Welcome to Dreamland on BT, and from there I did Welcome to Dreamland and Housewives and Brass and Family Values and The Candy Factory and toured with Lil Wayne and Iggy Azalea and August Alsina and Candy Burris and the seven years that I thought was going to be uh, seven years of anonymity uh, behind the scenes ended up being uh, the seven years that propelled me honestly to where I am today. Like when you're growing up with like when everyone around you sings and everyone around you is an artist and a musician, like how did you how did you find your individual identity? You know what I'm saying? How did you focus on what you wanted to be as an artist when there's so much artistry going around you all the time? Yeah, um, well, I'm the oldest of four. Um, I really carved out what it was that I enjoyed and what it was that I gravitated to. I saw The Wiz for the first time when I was eight years old. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to be a singing, dancing, joyful Black person in the world. And whatever, whatever job or gig allows me to exist in the world in that way, in the brand new day, in the Emerald City sequence, way of blackness and joy that's what I want to do and so I started um going to the library and checking out books or other movie musicals and learning about people like Hinton Battle and Ben Vereen and Nipsey Russell and these incredible black men uh reading Alvin Ailey's biography and autobiography and just kind of inundating myself with those things so that whether I was choreographing something for church or whether I was doing my spring musical at school, I always knew um, who I was. And so I encouraged my siblings to do the same thing. Um, Vaughn was very much like R&B, R&B specific. And so he listened to Usher and Boyz II Men and 112. Um, Aisha growing up was very musical theater specific. And so we listened to Aida and Hairspray and Once on This Island. Dree was very, like, I like R&B and I like musical theater. So it was Once on This Island and Aida, but it was also Monica and, you know, Whitney Houston. And so I, it was all, I think the biggest thing, the biggest tool that helped each of us kind of find our lane was just simply like research. And, and carving it out, not waiting for inspiration to greet you at the door, but going to meet uh, inspiration wherever it may be. And um, because it was something that I was actively doing, I think that domino effect just resonated throughout our uh, sibling uh, tribe. And so it was never competition. Nobody was ever doing anything that somebody else wanted to do. Um, and we always also opened up spaces for each other. Uh, if I was ever doing a show and I could put somebody else on, or if I knew somebody who booked me to do a show, then I'd be like, okay, well, book my sister. But I was working on something and I needed an assistant on set. I'd be like, okay, I'm bringing my brother. Like, just all those things. And we've done that countless times. And I was doing, I was in New York touring with Iggy and like Aisha came to sound check. And I was like, this is my sister, guys, you know. It's just always been kind of that thing. It's never been competition with us because we all know 
um, that we were put on earth for a reason and that none of our, though we may have uh, similar talents and interests, uh, our purposes are not the same, nor are they linear. Um, and so they can coincide and Come weave on. through each other and build just a stronger connection between like the divine and the earth realm. So that's where we're, we're like super purpose oriented. And I think that kind of uh, eliminates any mess. Yes. Come on, purpose. God, you doing you've been crazy. I've good. heard the word purpose in so many different areas of my life in the past week. You doing something. Whatever you doing, you keep doing I need it you to read I need you to read Uh-oh. this book. There's what? a book that I read in twenty fourteen and it like changed my life. Uh it's called Purpose Awakening by Tere Roberts. Uh, it's T O U R E Roberts. Tere Roberts. And this was like I was you know, working in LA, going back and forth. And one morning I, I ended up staying in LA like longer than I expected. And I woke up like on a Sunday morning. I was like, I need to go to church. And I literally just like Googled church. I was like staying in Hollywood by the W and I just Googled church. And that was the closest one to me and just jumped in an Uber and went. And like ever since then, it's been both he and uh, Sarah Jakes Roberts have poured into my life like immensely. And um, that book, though, Purpose Awakening, like it's the one book that I think everybody should read. And it, it did honestly I change miss my church. life. I, I do. I miss church. I miss church. I miss Christian. church. I miss church too. I've been, I literally, I will literally YouTube praise breaks, you know, just because sometimes you got to, you know, you got to praise the Lord real quick. And I will literally. Come on. And I would literally, literally YouTube, like I'm at the, like I would go work out, put on a praise break (laughs) playlist on Spotify. And that's, that's my time right there. That's it. That's it. You know, I miss it. Yeah. (laughs) That's it for me. No, I miss it too. My dad's a pastor. Um, and he became an ordained minister in 91. Um, and he opened his own church in, I want to say 2001. 2001 or 2002 and um i attended my dad's church uh for some years and then i started attending one church in la uh, and then i came back to atlanta and started attending impact church here and um my whole like faith journey has been a series of i was having this conversation with my boyfriend actually earlier today a series of like asking Mm. god questions like always just asking questions and and Asking questions with the overwhelming overwhelming knowledge that God is there and God is real and God is present and God is not faced mm. by my questions. God is not offended mm. by my questions. Uh, God actually wants to have those conversations with me. And though like we haven't been in church and I've really, really missed it, I think this moment for me has been really great because it's helped me deconstruct a lot of the structure that I grew up with um, as far as like religion is concerned and really lean into my faith walk um, and the conversations and the practices that come along uh, with that. So I do miss church and it's my hope and my prayer that when uh, we are able to gather again, we're able to gather uh, with like radical love with incredible joy and um with a full understanding of the new thing that god is trying to do uh through each and every one of us yeah come on victor about to open up a church renee and victor both about to open up a church no (laughs) preaching the good word okay let's get into it so i know you spoke about um growing up and um researching and um you love ben vereen people like that Mm -hmm. who else were your inspirations growing up whether it was musically or in the choreography world or, you know, even just, you know, people. Just who who did you look up to? Who shaped mm-hmm. your victor? Um, so I couldn't listen to R and B music growing up because my parents are like <laughs> real strict and religious. And so anything that I kind of grabbed a hold to, it was from my own excavation. And so, um, I had a friend 
uh, I made friends rather with the librarian at the College Park Library, and she would order books like fashion books and original Broadway cast recordings and movie musicals. And she would order them from like larger branches or branches that were further out. So I could check them out and she wouldn't give me like a deadline. She just like, just bring them back whenever you're done. And so that exposed me to a lot of musical theater, especially. Um, but like in the gospel realm, uh, BB and CC Winans, Fred Hammond, Kurt Franklin, Yolanda Adams, like, Marvin Sapp, like those, I think, and I will, I will go on record saying this. I think late nineties, early two thousands, black gospel music was at mm. its peak. Like that, I, I truly believe that was like the peak of, of just black gospel music. I mean, it, uh, Hezekiah Walker, John P. Key, you know, um, it was just really, really great. And so that's how I learned. I like learned how to hear harmonies from listening to that music. And I would I would sing the verses for Fred Hammond songs and I would sing like a third above or a third below. And my dad would be like, What are you doing? Why are you why won't you just sing the song? And <laughs> years later, once he realized, like, oh my God, my child like ear trained himself. Um, this is crazy, but like that, so that was so important to me. Um, and just the combination of gospel music and musical theater, um, manifested this, this drama, this like grand grandeur, if you will, um, but allowed it to still be like anchored, right. And like grounded. And um, then I watched Purple Rain for the first time when I was 19, uh, and it changed my life. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, guys, wait. <laughs> You're telling me all this time I've been walking around thinking I'm a weirdo, and here's Prince, like this incredible man who just refused to be defined and just moved through the world um, at his own volition and in the fullness of himself. Um, and not for commercial success, not for, you know, popularity, but honestly, like, for the music. And I was like, huh. And so then it became this whole thing of, like, going back and finding people who I couldn't listen to growing up that I really enjoy. And so, like, even during quarantine, like, all I've been listening to for the most part is, like, Earth, Wind & Fire, Shaka Khan, Anita Baker, and Sade. Yes. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit. So you mentioned that you're not only a performing artist, you're also a teaching artist. Um, notably, you work with Broadway Dreams, which is like a big like national training ground for kids who are interested in theater and performance <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, there's not a lot of... Um, Train like musical theater in itself is a very whitewashed space, I'll say. Um, and there's not a lot of um, POC artists in those fields, in those training fields. How important for you is it to serve as some representation? Because Broadway Dreams has a lot of like black and brown students in it. So how does it feel to like know that you're adding and serving in that way and serving as an inspiration? Yeah, um, I'll say two things. Uh, first, America is very whitewashed. So any institutions created in America um, more than likely are as well. Um, and that is something that I know and that I've, I've learned more and more as I've aged and experienced uh, the world. And so Broadway Dreams, I, init I initially did it just for my sister. Um, both of my sisters, Aisha and Dree, uh, trained with Broadway Dreams. And so Dree, I was living out in L.A. at the time, and Dree wanted to take the L.A. intensive. And we basically bartered. Like, Dree got to take the intensive for free in exchange for me teaching. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And wasn't really thinking much of it at that point. I had stopped teaching, especially youth because I, my travel schedule was so inconsistent and I didn't want to be 
the teacher dropping in and dropping out and dropping in and dropping out. I wanted to be with my students. And so I was just like, this isn't the season. And I, I stopped. And so I did Broadway Dreams forgery as a one-off and enjoyed the camaraderie. And honestly, the thing that impacted me the most was teaching alongside Tay Diggs. And it was like, whoa, whoa. And and I know, I know what Tay Diggs represented to me, like watching his films growing up. And I was like, oh, wow, what if, you know, and it wasn't an immediate, uh, immediate epiphany, but the more and more I taught with Broadway Dreams, the more and more I realized, like, I am becoming someone that people can look to for representation in the same way um, I attended Tri-Cities High School here in Atlanta, and the chorus, or rather the show choir from Tri-Cities came to my elementary school in third grade. And after I saw them, I went home and told my parents, I'm going to Tri-Cities High School in third grade. I was like, that's where I'm going. And so there are so many moments of my life that uh, have been directly impacted by representation. And if I know that if I know that to be my truth, uh, then it would be I would be remiss if I didn't put myself in a position to be representation as well. And so uh, from teaching in the States to teaching in Germany and Russia and New Zealand, uh, Broadway Dreams has given me an opportunity to be a Black gay man um, in all of those spaces. And in the spaces, even like in Russia, I was in Russia for two weeks and I saw 12 Black people the entire time I was in Russia. And it was like, Okay, great. A black person a day. You know what I mean? And teaching students I uh, in Russia and in New Zealand, students telling me I've never had a black teacher in my life. Like you have and 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 not just like white students, but like black students or mixed race students who have a black parent. You know, like, I've never been taught by a black teacher in my life. And so it is, I had I had a really tough time when we were in Berlin earlier this year. Um, I was just experiencing a lot in my life and the trip was just kind of not set up the way that we usually do, like, you know, a week long and blah, blah, blah. And we were doing drop-in workshops in two different locations in two different parts of Germany. It was just a lot for me, jet lag, all, all these things. And I prayed, like, one night while I was there and I was like, God, why am I here? Like, why, why am I here? It would not make sense for me to just get on a plane and leave. Um, but why am I here? Um, and, you know, if I don't have a reason, then like release me, release me to leave. And the next day I walked in uh, to class and I got there early and the students were on a break and we're in Germany and these students are speaking in German and I don't, you know, I'm just sitting there and there was a little black girl uh, who just like walked over to the piano. Um, well, I'm sorry, the first day she um, gathered her friends and apparently they were like a part of this like hip hop dance troupe and they just were like rehearsing during lunch on their own. And she was like the ring leader. She was like the girl. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> period, like period. And um, and then I taught a class and she just like stood right behind me the entire class. And like when we broke up into groups, like I did it with just she and I. Um, and God was like, that's why, like, that's why you're here. And it's it's so no nothing is perfect. No one is perfect. Um, no entity is perfect. And we have the tools as people to polish things. We can't perfect anything. So what I have tried my very best to do in my time at Broadway Dreams is to be honest, upfront and clear about who I am, about what people who look and love like me deserve. And I've told Annette K 
countless times. I believe that the students of Broadway dreams are the next generation of Broadway. And with that truth, we have to ask ourselves, what do we want the next generation of Broadway to look like? I don't want it to look like caricatures of black people on stage, but that doesn't just start on stage. That mm -hmm. is in the writing team. That is in the casting team. That is in the costume department and the hair department. And, and so for me, it's not about, it's not just about grooming performers. It is about encouraging people, whether you're on stage or off stage, there are so many opportunities for you to create change and you identifying what change it is that you want to create and leaning into that. For me, I know my purpose is to shift the perception of people who look and love like me. So everything that I do is in service to that. Whether I'm at Broadway Dreams, whether I'm working with Candy on the Welcome to the Dungeon Tour, everything that I do is in service to that. And so with Broadway Dreams specifically, I take it, I take it very seriously. Um, when I when I have students who are having babies, I take it very seriously because they're growing and they're teaching what they learn in Broadway Dreams and everywhere else, but they teach, they're teaching what, they, what they've learned to their children. And so uh, we have a large responsibility and I believe we have a, a heavier responsibility to black and brown students. Um, and I do everything in my power to lean that into good. that. That was good. Yeah. It's yeah. so crazy. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, yeah. Since I've graduated in May, I've worked on two new works where the team has been predominantly black and that has never, like up until literally, what, when did we work on Metropolis? We did Metropolis, what, October? Up until October, I had never had a black director. Never, never. And so it was, you know, it was, an, it, I was like on overload when I, you know, came into the room and I'm working with a black yeah. director black composers like you know it was just crazy and i just did a, um, a reading of a new play last week black director um like 80 percent of the show we were black like it was just you know it's just a new refreshing so like i'm so eager you know to come back you know to this you know new change that's good change good change you know not all change is good change but this is some good change yeah and you know i'm just so inspired you know to get back out there because like it's time it's been time yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really like what I was saying about church. You know, I think it, I think this truth can exist in all of these uh, institutions that have been, you know, uh, constructed in America. It is time for Blackness to not be looked at as less than. It's time for Blackness to not just be looked at as, uh, a cherry on top, like we are full, we are whole, we are the meals, we are the appetizer and the dessert. We are all three courses plus some. And, and, and it is time for us to set the tables for ourselves. Um, I'm like, I'm in a playwriting workshop right now and I've had stories that I've wanted to tell for years, but I've mm -hmm. always been like, oh, you know, Oh, can I can I get in over here to do this new work? Can I get in over here to do this new work? And um, that's not what white people do. White people walk into every space as if they own it. Speaking here, speak with no here. apologies. Oftentimes, oftentimes with little to no um, qualifications. I mean, look at the occupant of the White House right now. They don't care. They don't care about nepotism. They don't care. They don't care. So why are we getting caught up in all of these respectability politics when it comes to telling our own stories, when it comes to sharing our own art, when it comes to walking our own faith walk in the beauty of our blackness or our queerness or our differently abledness, like whatever it is, why are we, why are we second guessing it? Because white, cisgender, heterosexual folks are not questioning it at all. And they are coming in, dropping their coat and their purse on the table and sitting down like, who's gonna tell me to get up? And so now I'm walking, now I'm moving through the world. Now I'm moving through the world with that type of energy. 
Um, and, and it's not, it is, there are moments where it's uncomfortable. There are moments where it feels new and strange to me, but, um, I know that I am uh, making space in areas that my ancestors could not exist. And so this is bigger than me and the space that I create will be of service to the next generation. You know, it's no secret that it's hard being black in America. That's, but in the South specifically where we all, we're in North Carolina. So, you know, we, we are right there. So what's, what's it been like for you having to overcome those obstacles that come with, you know, being black um, and being unapologetically you? Just, you know, what, what have you done to overcome that? And, you know, yeah, let's, let's just start. There. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, I grew up in Atlanta. And so if there's no other place where you could be black, you can be black in Atlanta. (laughs) There's Georgia and then Mm -hmm. there's Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Atlanta and, but also like throughout my life, my first music teacher was a white woman uh, married to a black man. And she never treated me like I was different. She never treated me like I Uh, was a charity case. She always treated me like I deserved to be in all the spaces that I was in. Um, And so did my middle school teacher, who was a a white man, and my high school music teacher, who was a white man. And these people, all three of them, were very much like, you are amazing, period. Not amazing for a Black boy, not amazing for somebody from the South. Like you are amazing period. And I want you to walk through the world with that boldness. And then also I had black, a black dance teacher, a black drama teacher who were like, you know, grew up in a black church, black parents, black grandparents, you know, and all these people were like, it's you, it's you. Like it's on you. You can do this. You can change this. You can make this different. And so, um, I guess like it's, and I don't want to say this. I don't want to say this to suggest that I've never experienced racism because that is not the case, or to suggest that I've never experienced discrimination or bias on in in one way or another. I mean, microaggressions are ever present, and we they are ever present. Um, but I do believe that growing up in Atlanta is largely responsible for why I moved through the world proudly as a black man and as a gay man. Um, Because there's no other place in the world where blackness and queerness intersects like Atlanta. And at that level of vibration, you can't, like you can't, you can't match it. I've, LA ain't got it. D.C. ain't got it. New York ain't got it. Houston ain't got it. Charlotte ain't got it. Miami ain't got it. Like, you cannot. That's why the girls come here. We ain't got no beach. We ain't got no desert. We ain't got, you know what I mean? But the girls stay coming to Atlanta because you, it's a reinforcement. It's a, Atlanta in itself is a reinforcement of blackness and queerness. And so um, a lot of it honestly was in my mind. A lot of it was deconstructing uh, what was told to me in the Black church about who I am and uh, what my eternal resting place will be because of who I am um, and and grappling with my essence being labeled as a choice um, and those things. And, and that took therapy. Um, and I, have, I see a therapist. Uh, three times a month, and I've been seeing my therapist or seeing a therapist uh, since last October, so I'm coming up on a year. Um, and I started seeing a therapist because I turned 35 this year. And so last year I was like, look, I'm not, what we're not going to do is that. Like, what we're not going to do is be unresolved and and wounded and triggered and walking around on the edge of a breakdown with no tools to uh, navigate this. Because um, being Black and queer is great. 
but being black and queer with no tools to navigate it is daunting. And so um, therapy has been an extreme, extreme help um, in just me seeing myself and me valuing myself for the fullness of who I am. Um, and so what I realized, honestly, like to wrap it up, but directly to your question is what I realized is my knowing of myself informs how other people know me. And so whether that person is black, white, or otherwise, they engage with me at my level of knowing. So if somebody comes at me the wrong way and I know myself and I know who I am, I don't have to engage or I can engage at a certain level. Like I have the tools, right? Um, Which has been very, very helpful, especially during this time of like, pandemic and social unrest and having conversations with white colleagues about what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, how to show your support and your solidarity, um, not just in black squares on Instagram, but through education and conversations. Um, It gets overwhelming when you see how many people voted for Donald Trump in this past election. It becomes overwhelming a lot. But it is about, I think it's all about kind of identifying the tools that help you navigate your existence. And therapy has been one for me. Yes. Yes. First of all, we promote therapy. Everyone, I feel like Mm -hmm. somebody said that like a form of reparations is that every black American should get a therapist. That should be required. Because, Mm -hmm. Lord. Put that on the list. Okay. Put it on the list. (laughs) Victor, what is something like, this could either be something that you would tell a younger version of yourself or a younger black boy entering the entertainment field. What is something you wish you would have known when you first pursued this that you would want to tell someone else or want to pass down to another black boy entering this field? Uh, You're not crazy. You're not crazy. Um, Creativity and ideas come into your life as seeds. And just because you like buy a packet of tomato seeds doesn't mean you'll have tomatoes tomorrow. But that also doesn't discount the power and the value of the seeds. So plant your seeds, tend to your seeds. Don't second guess yourself. The timing and the forecasts and the conditions of your life are all to manifest and cultivate those seeds. And when it is time for you to reap the harvest, you will reap the harvest. And maybe that harvest will just be the confirmation that that tomato seed was actually a tomato. It may not be a million dollars. It may not be an Oscar or a Tony. Maybe it will just be saying you were right in your heart. And sometimes that's all you need. But you just cannot get frustrated. There have been so many times throughout my, what, 17-year 17, career where I've suggested things to people or I've, like, gone out on a whim and, like, did something or created something, boom, 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 and be like, oh, it doesn't work. Oh, people don't like it. Oh, boom, 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 boom. And then, like, two years later, it becomes a thing, and I'm like, Oh, and this has happened to me like throughout my entire life. And I think there are just certain people who are given the ability, the natural ability to forecast and to just like see things and see the tides changing in ways. And they have ideas of how to ride that wave. And um, so I would tell my younger self, like, you're not crazy. All the seeds that are in your hand are in your hand for a reason. And one day you will wake up and see a garden more beautiful than you could have ever imagined. But it takes time, it takes patience, and it takes perseverance. Mm, That was good. That was good, Victor. That was good. Okay, we only have... That was the one. I told Victor, think about... Just think about opening that church. Just join just join your father. Just just think about it. Just think about it. It could be on Zoom, you know? Yeah, just Zoom church. I think... You know, I think uh, Jesus' ministry uh, existed outside of the church, and he traveled Mm. and he imparted Mm. wisdom to people uh, 
where they were. And so, um, and the Bible tells us that we are the church. And so I, I believe that this is a lot, but I believe I have grown to believe that the only use for a church building is to help the community in which it exists. Mm. Otherwise it's no need to, it's no need to have it. Mm-hmm. And helping the community in which the church exists does not always show up in three services a Sunday. It shows up in counseling. It shows up in food pantries. It shows up in child care. It shows up in uh, occupational training. It shows up vocational training, rather. Like, it shows up in those ways. And so if you are not interested in a person in the fullness of who they are, um then you're not doing the work of Jesus because from the woman at the well to the woman with the issue of blood to the man with leprosy to the blind man, he was interested in people being the full version of themselves. And so if you're not interested in people being the full version of themselves, then you're not doing uh, the work of Jesus Christ in the world. And so I'm, I'm not really caught up on like, being in a building or having a building mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, people have always told me, a lady prophesied to me at my dad's church when I was like 25 um, and went through the whole thing, like put your hands up, put, put her hand on my stomach, you know, mm-hmm. and was like, I, I see you are going to speak to the world. You are going to speak to the masses. You are going to travel the world ministering. You are going to minister to all types of people. And I was like, I already do that. And she stopped and she looked at my dad. And he was like, oh, you do? I said, yeah, I minister to housewives, rappers, and strippers. And my dad was like, well, he does. And the thing is, you you can't, each person that Jesus encountered uh, throughout his life in the world needed something different. Somebody needed to see. Somebody needed to be free. Somebody needed healing of one element or another somebody just needed food to eat so everybody needed something different and so for you to approach the work of jesus with one note or with one way um is to do his work a disservice so um this is the way that i get to do the work of the lord and um i'm grateful for it come on come on You will not for you will not force me into anybody's pulpit. <laughs> I mean, but being like the oldest son of a pastor, believe me, I've heard it my entire uh-huh. life. Um, and and back to like my point earlier, I just had to start asking God some questions. Like, okay, look, is this about to be a whole Helen Baylor situation? Am I going to be like, I had a praying grandmother and like end up with a gospel record? Like, is that what we're doing, God? Um, found that that is not you know maybe that may become a thing at some point but at this point in my journey that is not where I do my best work where I do my best work is being present in artistic and creative spaces um, and engaging in thoughtful conversation that leaves me and the person who I'm conversing with better and that's what it's about yeah okay last thing real quick so we're gonna let's start this new thing. Um, I want each person to go through and just say one thing that you're like, or more than one thing that you're obsessed with this week. Whether it's like a new song that you're currently obsessed with, a book, a person that you've seen on TV, an Instagram post. Just like go through and just you know say one thing that you're obsessed with. Elena, you start. Oh, we all doing it. Oh wow. And um, what am I obsessed with this week? Okay, okay, okay. And you got to follow me here. Ben Platt, his deluxe album, Sing to Me Instead, has his live, um, some of his live songs. Uh-huh. And I have gone on uh-huh. record that I can tell if a white performer is good based on whether or not their background singers are all black or not. Because the top tier white singers that I know, <laughs> they don't travel without all black background singers because they know that to get the sound that they want and at the level that they want, there's only a handful of people who can create that kind of sound. And so those live songs <laughs> hit because it is 
this beautiful black woman and two black men and they just they know they know all the beats he wants to hit they know the flow he's going for to the point where like he can go off stage and they can riff for 10 minutes just to cover the space which is what they do and those like it's like six live songs and i just listen to those over and over again i've been listening to it all of this week and last week because it's just something same thing with yeba she like travels only with black singers because good singers know what good they know where they're they know where their inspirations are coming from they're not these riffs all that stuff that they're doing they're no they know that like that wasn't invented by like what's the word? like frank sinatra or something like they know where that's coming from um and so i'm that's what that's what my obsession is this week Corey. come on okay victor you go um first i want to i died laughing because i sang background for callum scott um when like you are the reason was like the number one song in the world and we did like good morning america and live with kelly and ryan and it was me and two black mm-hmm. women and we sang down right um, <laughs> correct so yeah you're right um but uh what am i obsessed with right now i am obsessed with uh like mini bags mini purses by black designers um I have bought a four tail far back. Oh wow! Uh, I found this new guy named Brandon Botswood. Is it Botswood or is it Blackwood? It's one of the two um, on Instagram, and I sent both my sisters and my boyfriend um, his page so that they could all give me a bag. <laughs> um, and and I've just like started finding. Oh, yeah, it's Brandon Blackwood, Brandon Blackwood NYC. And I've just started finding other, like, black designers. Um, I like clothes. I like to wear clothes. I like to buy clothes. Um, I also like wine. Um, and so I've been finding, uh, like, black-owned wineries and just kind of just really trying to, the things that I love and the things that I feel like I spend a lot of money on making sure that those are things that uh, are putting money back into our community um, and into the pockets of black people. So that is what I've been obsessed with. Black bag, little bags, little mini purses by black designers and wines by black vineyards. Yes. Come on. What about you, Corey? What is your current obsession? Okay. It's not even a turn obsession. So, the other day, so I'm currently obsessed with The Prom, the musical, which is not, that's not my, what I was going to say, but I was researching, um, I was researching the movie that's coming out next month, and I was like, oh, Ryan Murphy, and I thought Glee, so I started, like, just going back, because I used to be a huge Glee fan, and I was like, Amber Riley just never, like, everyone's like, oh, she's the greatest singer under Rachel, blah, 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 and I've always been that kid that was like, no, Mercedes, Amber Riley is the best singer, like, that's hands down, like, don't argue with me, like, that's the truth, and so I went and just found a list of, like, the song, like, every song that she sang on Glee, and for some reason, I just did not remember her singing Try a Little Tenderness, and I went and listened to her singing Try a Little Tenderness, y'all, y'all. When I say she sang down, like she sang down. I need to listen to that. Like she sang. I love her so much. I think it first started with like maybe the key. I didn't like, I knew it was going to be like up in the rafters, but I just didn't, you know, I'm used to hearing, you know, my favorite version, the Chris Brown version from this Christmas. So, you know, I hear somebody else sing it. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. So that's literally like on my like top plate song right now on my Spotify. Y'all. Just do yourself a favor. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're sitting here and you want to argue with me and say that she wasn't the best singer, I want you to go find help um, because that's just the final answer. Like, that is the final answer. Like, don't argue with me. Don't go in my DM saying, Corey, you're wrong. This blah, 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 blah is the mm-hmm. best singer. So it's just not the truth. It's not the truth. And I'm not taking <laughs> any other opinion. Argue with your mama. Argue I'm with not, your mama. Don't argue yeah, with argue with your mama. She also has an EP out yes. under her artist name, Riley. Yes. And yes. it's really good, too. So definitely check that out, too, and support support Black independent artists. Yes. As one myself, we need it. Um, yeah, so check that out. Yeah, Victor, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for taking time out of your day. You are very busy. Yes. Clearly, obviously, <laughs> you literally in the studio right now. Um, so before we leave, let the people know where they can find you. Also, if we're allowed to yes. talk about it, maybe tell us about any upcoming projects that might be, yes, you yes. know, coming Wait, forward. Tell us, tell us. 
Um, okay, so yeah, you can you can find me everywhere at Mr. Glamrock. So that's my website, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Everything is Mr. Glamrock. So um, I have two singles out right now, Venom and He Belongs to the City and the visual Which... for Venom. They're both on my um, playlist that I run to. So, uh, Thank you. Is, that's a whole bop. That's a whole bop. Everybody says that that is like their favorite gym song. And I, I love it. It is. I, I really love that people listen to it and put it on their gym playlist. But yeah, the video, um, the video for Venom comes out November 20th. That's this Friday. Yeah. Um, I don't know when 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 your listeners will be listening to this, but um, it comes out November twentieth, and I'm currently mixing my EP "Man Muse Magic" uh, for a release Ooh. on December fourth. So, and you'll get the video for "He Belongs to the City" on December fourth too. So. Oh, I'm lit! I'm lit! You know I'm lit! <laughs> you know I'm ready. Trying to end fourth quarter with a bang. It's been a crazy year, but it's also been a year. Um, of finding ways and, and finding solutions, even with like what you all are doing now with this podcast, um, finding a way to let your voice be heard in the space and bring light to the darkness. So uh, that is why I wanted to push through and get this EP done. And that's why I'm also like really, really happy to see that you all are doing this and, you know, spreading your joy to the listeners, to me as well. Um, and I think it's really incredible. Yay. Thank you yeah. so much. Little babies. We gonna let you go because you know, life to live. Okay, songs to make. Life to live. Money to be made. Oh no. Thank you for having me though. I really thank do appreciate you. it. Of course, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, you too. I'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh, did we like harmonize? <laughs> did we harmonize shut just up, then? Corey, shut up. <laughs> You just listened to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like this podcast, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Why not? Also, follow us on Instagram at this is fourth wall. And if you have any questions, ideas for new episodes, thoughts, or you want to submit a letter that we can read aloud on the show, send us an email at hello at fourthwallpod.com. That's fourthwallpodpod.com. Hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye.